I need to be surprised, eyebrow goes up. I need to be sad, eyebrow crumples in the middle. Hello, uh, happy Christmas everyone. Uh, this week is the week where we celebrate holidays and usually we pick a not necessarily a holiday movie but we do our best to bring the christmas spirit to everyone do you remember when we did close <laughs> oh yeah, yeah you just broke the 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 christmas spirit i <laughs> uh, hope everybody has their prezies spot and you can relax and listen to the episode without any guilt whatsoever my name is ricardo deacon my name is Orla Magnilis. And it is a Christmas tradition that usually there's no rules for the podcast. So usually we are uh, a film co- podcast where we take turns to pick a movie the other person hasn't seen. Then we watch it separately and uh, meet to discuss it. But because it's Christmas, Orla picked a movie that we have both seen before. So uh, this week's movie is Little Women from 2019. This is Meg, Amy, Beth and Joe. My girls have a way of getting into mischief. Ow! I know. Amy, you're the only sane member of your troublemaking family. I want to be great or nothing. Beth is a shy girl. I wish just to have us all to be together. Beth is perfect. Joe, would you like to dance with me? Joe is a lost cause. I intend to make my own way in the world. And Meg? Thank you, Aunt March. Oh, oh, my. I want a home and a family. Don't leave. You'll be bored of him in two years, and we will be interested forever. Women have minds, and they have souls, as well as just hearts. You're not angry at me. Life is too short to be angry at one's sisters. Where'd you get the money? Well, I only sold what was my own. You're one beauty. Really PG. Not to be confused with Little Women from 1994, Little Women from 2020, the TV show from BBC, Uh, Little Women, the 2022 (laughs) Korean TV show, the set in the present time uh, or the 90s anime series which is the most random thing ever to exist um yep but uh it is 2019's uh little women uh it's an evergreen story it's an evergreen text and if it is the case that you were living in a hole huh uh and never (laughs) uh heard of this book or this movie or any of the these other adaptations. Uh, the Google uh, synopsis is, while the March sisters enter the threshold of womanhood, they go through many ups and downs in life and endeavor to make important decisions that can, can affect their future. Ups and downs. Okay. okay ups and downs. The threshold of womanhood. <laughs> uh, that is not a very good synopsis as usual. Why was me and Barry at all? IMDb synopsis is Joe March reflects back and forth on her life, telling the beloved story of the March sisters, four young women, each determined to live life on their own terms. Uh, None of these are correct. Yeah, the only that that makes it that makes it seem as if it's like we start off at the beginning with Joe and she's like, like. 
Yeah, like the beginning of like once upon a time in America or something that you get like the little. My sisters and I remember that winter as the coldest of our childhood. So uh, this movie was chosen by Orla. Wait, wait, wait. I forgot to do all the bits and pieces. Uh, this <laughs> movie was directed by Greta Gerwig. Second time offender. The cast is uh, Saoirse Ronan, Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, Eliza Scanlon, Laura Dern, Timothy Chalamet, 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 whatever the fuck, Tracy Letts, Bob Odenkirk, James Norton, uh, Louis Garrel, Chris Cooper and Meryl Streep, based on Little Women from 1868 by Louisa May Alcott, produced by Amy Pascal, Denise Denovi and Robin Swickord. Uh, cinematography by Yorick Lesseau and edited by Nick Huey. Oh yeah, uh, sorry, music by Alexander Desplat. Uh, mm. So Orla, why did you pick Little Women 2019? Because I couldn't possibly pick the 1994 version because that is sacred and gets only watched at on Christmas Eve with my sisters and my mother. So, <laughs> and also because I hate that movie, so it would have been uh... okay. This I did not know, but we will not take over the podcast by talking about that because I want to remain your friend. So, uh, <laughs> anyone. <laughs> Anyone that knows me at all uh, knows that Little Women is incredibly sacred to me, like a lot of women of my generation and uh, I'm younger. I think it's it's still probably because of this film is becoming a big deal for, for people and which is just warms my heart so much because this really is just an excellent evergreen text of <sighs> womanhood and girlhood and childhood and everything. And I love it so much. Um, yeah, I remember uh, whenever this was announced... And like at the time, Lady Bird had come out. I knew, you know, I knew Greta Gerwig, like, because she's, she was a relatively big actor at that point. Like I'd seen like Frances had a lot of the other like Baumbach movies that she'd been in and she'd written that movie. So it was like, okay, I don't feel, I don't feel scared, but I feel a little uncomfortable because this could go horribly, horribly wrong. And like, you know, as you've mentioned, there have been numerous TV adaptations, um, including one with Maya Hawke uh, from a couple of years ago, which I quite liked. It was good. But those are TV adaptations and that's they're kind of a different breed. And this was the first uh, this is the first feature since uh, 1994. So I was very like, oh, we'll see. Uh, so obviously I was fucking thrilled whenever I watched it. I think me and John watched it in January of uh, of 2019. And uh, I'm like, <laughs> I cried at the end. Uh, I, and we know that I don't cry much at movies, but the bit at the end when she's clutching her book. Oh my God, I love this film so much. So we'd had a, a brief um, uh, discussion when we were talking about the whole. Uh, we were talking about like adaptations and the mistake of trying to be too faithful to to like the plot points of a book or rather than like fully adapting it and like and and taking merging things or changing things or whatever in order to make it have the spirit of the book but to not necessarily follow it to the letter um and i that's like one of the most interesting things about this film is the way she takes the sections of the book and each plot point and just rearranges them through these time jumps which if I thought much about it before watching it. I would have been a little bit like, oh, 
but because it's so deftly handled, it makes it like it recontextualizes things without like holding your hand at any point. Like there's one or two title cards in this film. And like, we'll get into this because I remember people complaining about the fact that they were confused as to what was going on because there's like, like we start off with Joe in New York and then we jump seven years previously to when they're all really, really young. And they were given a title card then, but I'm not sure if there's any other ones. I think for the rest of the film, you were basically just expected to understand what's going on. And like, from my perspective, I had no issue with that because I know the story so well. Um, that's one of my, my favorite things is how she she deals with a story that is so familiar to people and she manages to like modernize it in a way, uh, even in how she sort of the twist at the end of like, you know, the, the weird unsatisfactory thing about the Little Women book is that they're like. <laughs> the marriages at the end feel strange and uncomfortable, but which in a way was Alcott's intention because she didn't want to have her characters married. She so they were like they were kind of like shoved together in a way, and of like this strange, awkward union of like Joe going the whole way through the movie being like, I'm not getting married, and then suddenly being like, Oh, Professor Bear, you were like strange middle-aged German man. Yes, I'll marry you. Uh, and I love what this film does with it because it includes the fact that, you know, Bear and her fall out, like, very clearly. And then they kind of, like, shoehorn this, like, strange ending. But then they have, like, Joe's character talking about it with the editor. And then how the movie ends in two ways, almost, with, like, you know, this sort of, like, fairy tale of everyone having cake. But then... The ultimate ending is her holding her book, which I find really interesting. Um, the other thing I love about this adaptation is, uh, and I don't think any other adaptation, I, I haven't seen like the anime or the Korean one, and I've, I've seen most of the TV adaptations, I think. But as far as I know, none of them have dealt with Amy in the way that this does, um, which I really, really like because it's, obviously Florence Pugh is great. Um, but this has... Because her character is difficult because of the way the ages go. So you have to start with someone who has to be very young, but then have her, you know, like seven years later, like her her difference in character is almost the most pronounced because she is the youngest going into womanhood by the end of the film. So like it's dealt with really clunkily in the 1994 version because we have Kirsten Dunst who is really good as the young Amy and then we have what's her name who I can't fucking remember uh playing the older Amy and they don't look alike they are it's like overnight she suddenly switches into a completely different person like character wise it just it doesn't work at all whereas in this we have the great Florence Pugh who's able to do the like very very young childish and then the very very like you know, refined in Paris, like trying to make peace with the way her life is. But what I also like is that they expand on the idea of why Amy is the way she is and why there is so much conflict between her and Joe. And like the idea of like so much of it is based on like uh, jealousy and creativity which is really interesting of like her feeling that she's in the shadow of Joe because Joe is like this great writer 
And like, you know, their whole way through their lives, she was always like the creative one in the family. So Amy wanting to be this like great person like Joe and then ultimately feeling that she only has this like mediocre talent and it doesn't, it's not about her being a woman either, which is like such an interesting thing to get into this this film because it's like, that is such a thing, absolutely something I have thought multiple points in my life where it's like, you know, are you feeling sort of like lackluster in your career? Is it because like of sexism or is it because you're not actually that good? <laughs> and like, I swear to God, it's like, it feels so poignant. And like, even getting the context of um, that scene, whenever she's saying that to Laurie, um, that wasn't in the original script. Gerwig added that in like when they were already shooting and it was like basically handed it to Flora's pew before they started shooting and we're like, let's see how this goes. And it's like such a... Like she's she just puts so much aggression and feeling into it of like this idea of just feeling like, you know, you have to be practical about this because that's just the way life is. And, you know, it's, and she has such a like she goes from being so bright eyed to being so like pragmatic, which I really like. Um, Florence Pugh is just the fucking best. Yeah. Like what's interesting about this as well is it kind of reminds me of um, there are two kind of like canon uh, adaptations of Pride and Prejudice as well. One being obviously the BBC one version from the 90s and then all the Joe Wright uh, version with Kira Knightley. And how neither one of those two is perfect, in my opinion, because each one has, and in, in how they deal with the characters, has advantages and failings, if you know what I mean. So, uh, and this is kind of similar because I do feel like Meg is kind of shortchanged in this. And how I feel like in the 1994 version, Meg actually has a little more. It's just she's she feels more well-rounded to me than she does in this film. In this film, she almost feels like an afterthought when compared to the other three sisters. Uh, and I don't know if it's possibly Emma Emma uh, what do you call her's performance. Don't I can answer that. Very... It is. She's not very good. And it feels, it's so disappointing because obviously the other three performances are really good. Uh, what's also hilarious is <laughs> they're all non-American actors. They're all either like English, Irish, or um, uh, what do you call her? Is Australian, I'm pretty sure. Eliza? Um, who plays, Jesus. Who I, played, I, yeah, because she's great as well in the, in Sharp Objects. Oh, she's so so good she's a really good actress yeah she's australian i'm fairly sure she's not american anyways um but yeah i just think it's hilarious like <laughs> none of the main none of the main actors are um uh are actually american but like obviously you wouldn't fucking know because they're all great but um and just for context as well had you seen this movie uh since it was released in the, in the cinemas or have you Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've seen this multiple times. Okay. I, I kind of watch it every Christmas now because it's, even though it's only a small part of it takes place around Christmas, but it feels very much like a Christmas movie to me. Yeah. Um, uh, and it is just like a big, warm, cozy hug. And also Bob Odenkirk just turning up. <laughs> Which is hilarious because it's like, he sort of seems out of place, but like at the same time, that scene whenever he goes, my little women. And that gives them all a hug. I was like, oh, like I just 
the, like some of the, my favorite parts of this are like, I mean, there's the scene whenever Saoirse Ronan is just like. Women, they, they have minds and they have souls as well as just hearts. And they've got ambition and they've got talent as well as just beauty. And I'm so sick of people saying that, that love is just all a woman is fit for. I'm so sick of it. But I'm, I'm so lonely. I love her so much. She just, she's so good as Joe as well. Especially whenever, like, you already had what kind of felt at the time like the perfect Joe performance. And you have this, which is like, it's, it's like, she, it's different but similar. And yeah, um, Shelby, I like, I'm not like mad into Shelby in general. I, I like, I think he's good. I, he f kind of works as Laurie. Um, but, you know, uh, <laughs> what was I going to say? Yeah, this is also just like a very enjoyable, like funny movie at times as well. Like there's some really like great of them just like hanging out. Like whenever the uh, the letter comes from from father and they're all sitting around like the seats to listen to her. Like I think uh, <laughs> I think um, Amy goes, Joe sits in the back so we can't see her cry. <laughs> and then she like punches her. It's so like... And when they're just like rolling around the floor and, um, and what do you call them? Uh, they're like, you're one who works for them. He lives in the house with them. Um, she comes in. She's like, I know you don't care what I think, but it's like, just that, that rapport of them whenever they're like really, really young. And it's, it's like, it all feels very like the youth comes across really well. Um, but yeah, I could go on and on and on and on. So, uh, Ricardo, what are your thoughts on, uh, 2019's Little Women. When did you see it and how do you feel now? All right. So Little Women 2019. I hilariously uh, watched it twice only. This was my third watch. Okay. But I saw it okay. twice in the cinema. <gasps> I forgot about that. So the first time I watched it, uh, I watched it with Alex. We just went to like regular cinema, whatever, and watched it. And I was like, oh, this is really good. I want to take my mom to watch the movie because I thought that she'd like it. And we went to Viewly Fivali and they put the movie on the like smallest screen you could possibly imagine in the multiplex. And it's right next to the screen that is called The Big Fella. The, it's called The Big Fella because it's one of the biggest cinema screens in Ireland, but also was opened by Liam Neeson. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So there's a plaque. That's why I know uh, about this. this but the opened thing, by Liam Neeson. But obviously the screen that I was put on, it probably used to be like a storage room or something. And they were like, oh, we can fit another screen here. It's grand or whatever. And the soundproofing was terrible. So during the whole movie, I was watching it and Star Wars uh, <laughs> Revenge of the Sith or whatever it's called, the, the last one, was playing in the next screening. And I kept thinking like, I don't remember the war being this close to this movie. Like they're not like near the battlefield. <laughs> oh god! And then it, it's really it was really weird that like you could hear the Star Wars theme blending into like Little Women, and it, it was very bizarre experience. But I wouldn't recommend it. It's not like one of those discoveries like uh, Wizard of Oz watching while listening to Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. But I think that. This is my favorite adaptation, Little Women. My 
previous uh, number one was actually the 1930s version with Catherine Hepburn as Joe. Mm, she was like born to play that role. It's ludicrous. Yeah, and it's like she really was. And it's like George Cukor <laughs> and Catherine Hepburn. You can't go wrong. And it's partly like I think that it being the the age that it is, the movie it's it kind of makes you forgive the uh, the, the issues that the novel has that most adaptations have carried over to the screen because most of the adaptations are fairly faithful there's a very good video by a guy called thomas flight on youtube that he compares all the oh i know that yeah yeah, yeah. he compares He's got that real soft voice yeah and uh, he compared <laughs> all the little women adaptations and how most of it because little women are it, the the book itself was div- divided into two parts because it was two volumes that came out the first part being whenever the uh, little women were at the uh, at their littlest, and then whenever <laughs> the, they were like slightly less little women, in the the second <laughs> one. So <clears throat> most of them are deal with the story chronologically, and I think it has the same problem as the book has that the second part is very bad compared to the first part, because, like you said about like how the marriages kind of come out of nowhere it's it's not as authentic as the first part and this movie kind of fixes it by cutting and pasting them together because then there's a a certain um not only like how the scenes are cut between each other because i think that the power of that scene that you mentioned of amy talking about marriage being a economic proposition an economic proposition for women that the scene directly prior to that is meg having an argument with her husband about being poor Mm. so it it kind of thematically the movie is able to do things that both the book and the the other adaptations couldn't because they're able to more than anything like create a tapestry of the themes rather than uh, follow the narrative itself and it kind of fixes a lot of the problems of the second part like like i said because a lot of the time the best thing about all of these adaptations is when the little women are together yeah. And the second book, they're largely apart. I don't think that there's a, any moments that the four of them are all together under the same roof because Amy is off in France, Meg is off with uh, the tutor, Joe is in New York, and Beth is Beth. So <laughs> Beth is at home and then in the ground. Yeah, so like... Uh, all righty. <laughs> but even whenever uh, Joe g- goes back to help out and uh, meets Meg and stuff, Amy is still in France. So by the time she comes back, Beth is already gone. So it does work in the sense of like feeling that loss of like childhood whenever you uh, you have this kind of unit of friendships. It, it is, doesn't... Like I think that the movie does a very good job of also showing it as friendship, not just family. The... You can also relate if you're like a lone, like an only child, because you go through the same with your school friends of that era. Yeah, I was just thinking, like at the end of college or anything, when everyone goes off on their own 
directions and yeah it's it's like there's a real pain of the nostalgia of the times you spent together because <laughs> like i think the above any other film including the other little women adaptations the one that i feel that the this movie echoes the most especially on the on the the earlier segments is stand by me like uh on oh interesting because both movies are looking like even though it's like stand by me is literally narrated from somebody in the future but this adaptation is from the point of view of the future because the movie makes a point of starting with joe already in new york and then yeah uh going back so it's not i do think that structurally it is important that this movie has flashbacks rather than flashes forward like a geni- there's an episode of script notes that the um the screenwriting podcast that i listened to that it's uh your man john august who did uh big fish and uh like the Go movie with Katie Holmes from back in the day. Like he's done other oh. movies in between. <clears throat> but uh, And the other guy that does, is in the podcast is Craig Mason, who in the beginning was like, okay, he's very interesting, but he's only written like uh, fucking Hangover Part 2. So I don't know mm-hmm. much if I should trust his opinion, but he then did the Chernobyl. And he's the showrunner for oh. the new Last of Us. And they interviewed Greta Gerwig cool. on a purely screenplay like how she came about writing it but also how she made the decision of breaking it apart because it's one of those things as an adaptation that seems absolutely obvious when you look at it but nobody else has done it i know right fucking 2019 took for someone to come up with that idea which is fascinating to me so like uh, <laughs> i do th- like uh, when it comes to the performances i think that the the two week performances are Bo- bob Odenkirk and emma watson i usually love bob Odenkirk. he's one of my favorite <laughs> yeah, but actors but like he's barely in it like that's the yeah thing. but like he's just he's playing sidelined. bob Odenkirk. even meryl <laughs> streep is like and later career Meryl Streep is just being Meryl Streep but she's actually doing a like a really good character like a really good depiction of a March in this movie and uh, Bob Odenkirk is the only person that just walked in and is like like it seems like he did it in between takes for fucking Better Call it's, Saul which it's so weird like why was he cast I don't know. it's so strange it's uh, yeah I don't know and then uh, the um, what you call it the like Laura Dern is unbelievable as like if there's one character that you think uh, actor that you think can pull off the character is Laura Dern you know that like I'm not gonna um shit too much on the previous uh adaptation but I think that Susan Sarandon is almost there to be that, but I don't think that uh, as Marmy, but I think that Lauren Dern, whenever she plays the bit, talks about the bit of like improving herself and stuff like that, she, yeah. you can tell that is uh, a kind of, um, she plays it like that, that there's an actual uh, purpose for her behavior. That it's not just that she's that nice. It's that she knows that she's supposed to be that nice. So it's kind of like... And it does mean that, it, you know, th- your actions is what makes you good. So, like, even if it's, like, her knowingly going, like, uh, this is what we're supposed to do, she still does it. And other people don't, you know? 
Uh, I think Chris Cooper is unbelievable with the little he's roles that so are... good. Oh yeah, like he because I oh that because that his little dynamic with Beth as well is so good and I don't think there's another adaptation that I can think of that really nails that so that you really feel the doubling of his grief whenever Beth dies then that like and it's also very 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 difficult to uh, make that relationship not creepy because uh, like and this movie really makes it like very fatherly not creepy at all Uh, it's not inappropriate or whatever uh, I love the the his relationship also with Laurie and uh, the the tutor. So whenever they're like, <laughs> oh, there's a woman outside. There's a girl outside or whatever. There's and a girl outside. And the three of them it's just. Like, there's a girl outside. <laughs> and I I do like that the movie does uh, quite a lot of like framing the three of them together a few times to kind of like link them to that sort. Um, I actually yeah. really like. Uh, Shyamalan in this movie and I like him in every movie largely because he beca- he is very specific about his performance and I think that uh, is to a certain degree exactly why Emma Watson's character is so bad like her performance is so bad because it just it's not that she made bad choices it's that she made no choices she's just so what? But that's the thing like, is that the character she is like in fairness to her in a way it's kind of quite difficult to be in front of Saoirse Ronan killing an American accent and then you're trying to like you can tell uh, there's a very good uh, YouTube um, there's a guy that is a dialogue, dialogue coach that he rates uh he rates uh accents and uh, both on like using like a generic accent that people are like uh, an actor just playing an american actor uh, an american person but they're british let's say if you go like even the the shape of the mouth is incorrect so that's why they are not able to pull out the sound and sometimes he'll be judging people playing real people and how they're Mm. able to mimic them or not and his point is always it's better not to get the accent absolutely right as long as it's lived in. Because then if it's lived in, the rest of the performance would be great because you're able to act beyond getting the accent right. And the Emma Watson's performance in here, it feels largely that she's just trying to nail the accent and there's nothing behind the eyes. And it's the thing, considering that everybody else, she does a lot of eyebrow acting in this. Like that, uh, you know, you, you know exactly what I mean by that. That it's like, oh yeah, I need to yeah. be, I need to be surprised. Eyebrow goes up. I need to be sad. Eyebrow crumples in the middle. Check. Um, it just means that, like, whenever we're in her sections, and there's like, you know parts that are really big important for her character like when she goes to that ball and uh what do you call him is like really condescending to her and like that scene is really pivotal in a way and like her because like in the 1984 version she feels really guilty about it because she's like i let them (coughs) you know preen me and everything and you know it's like it's a big moment in her relationship with laurie as well that like they come you know they 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 make up and they end up having like a nice time and stuff and everyone's sort of like thinking oh maybe they'll get together then but it's just like she doesn't fucking sell it at all and even like it was just really disappointing because like 
her character is like the way of like we see society at the time through how her character acts and how Amy's character acts and then we have kind of like Joe just railing against everything but it's it's just it's it's disappointing because it 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 leaves her moments really dull so then we have like the bit whenever she buys the fabric and it's like again should be a really big thing and it just feels so flat because it's like her playing against the guy who's playing John Brooke and he's like fine he doesn't have a lot to do with this he's like just kind of there um but because he's sort of, eh, and she's just bad, it renders those scenes. And like, they should be so emotional because like, it's such a, the guilt that she feels about being like wanting more, you know, it's such a pivotal thing for her character. That's just like totally fucking lost. And I'm like, why was she cast? <laughs> uh, like, I don't think it was studio notes. I think that probably like they're the, the chemistry between the four of them is really good. Like she's not oh, as yeah, bad yeah. whenever she is because no, Meg tends to be like in the background in the scenes whenever it's the, the four of them. It's just whenever she's taken into isolation, like you said, that like it falls flat in a way. And I don't th- like I think that Emma Watson is like a deeply charismatic actor, actor in mm. general and usually pretty good. Uh, like... Um, yeah uh but okay. i think it's i don't know like uh, if it was the, the 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 challenge of the thing or uh the but going back to shamala is that i think that even like the way that he walks in every movie like he changes the way that he kind of like if you compare his three bigger biggest performances let's say that i've seen i haven't seen bones and all yet can't wait to to watch the movie mm. but if you go call me by your name this and dune and the way that he walks is completely different. And this, he has a hunch because he like him like uh, like Joe read reads a lot, but also standing next to the like, next to fires or standing or walking kind of hunched. He feels completely out of place anywhere he goes. And I think he, yeah. he really same as. Yeah, and then if you see, like, in Call Me By Your Name, before Amy Hammer shows up, he thinks he's the dog's bollock. So he has this kind of, like, strut about him. And then in Dune, because he's meant to be, like, a royal person, he's completely, like, straight back kind of character. Mm. But it just, that's just one example how it goes through. And you feel like there are performances that are largely, like, he doesn't do, like, chameleonic kind of change he looks the same in all the movies he speaks the same way in those movies but he feels like very specific different people and i think it's Mm. rather important especially for laurie uh to have that because he has to fit in as being part of the group as well rather than just like a love interest and i think he's able to really like that scene whenever they uh join him in the gang it's like uh, allow him in it's so good like it's a very everybody again except for uh meg has like very specific things that they do that i know that it was like probably the actors that i like the like uh Beth and Amy keep clicking their pipes together like uh, say, like a high five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, but uh, and Shamalay does like a little hop, skip, and a dash that is yeah, pretty funny. That's great. Uh, but I, I think more importantly is that um, like I know that there's a certain like modern thing of like 
people thinking that he's like good looking and sexy or whatever like uh but i do think that it's important that he's not like the traditional leading man kind of thing that it's, it's always been the, my he's, problem with christian bale's character little boy like he's he's very slight he doesn't have he's very beautiful but he's not like he's not like a hunk you know what i mean he's like this delicate little flower and i think which that is it, like in a way is the 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 problem with christian bale's per, uh casting in the oh 94. no i love him as laurie like, so. he's a great actor and very charismatic especially in his youth and stuff and i think like not like not to take away from his performance itself but i think that so much of even what is back then that the the main thing is like proximity makes you more attractive and i think the fact that it's like both for him and for them the point of them like they're just there because there's not that many men there's not that many women your own age and then you yeah. get a group that you connect to it's obviously somebody that you're gonna like that's why i th- i find it interesting in this movie because it it's really makes it clear that he's actually fully in love with amy like he was in love with like his love for Joe was always slightly different. But the thing is just because of proximity and the way that he says everybody expects us to get married is that it kind yeah. of gives the relationship a pressure to be something that it's not. And both of them have this kind of pressure to to conform to that idea. And I think that mm. overall the most interesting thing about this adaptation is that it is an adaptation of a mo- of a book that was famously written by a spinster. Like I don't like the term, but y- you know what I mean. It's like famous. She yeah. she's a famous spinster. That's the the, the way that people would describe Louis uh, Marie Alcott. Yeah, he made a shitload of money but, and looked after her entire family until her death. But her book ends with everybody married, and Greta Gerwig is a married person who doesn't have everybody married at the end of the movie because they dis- completely disagree with the the argument that some critics say that she's able to have her cake and eat it too that like you you can pick and choose what's the the real ending and i think that's bollocks you know that the real ending that's is not like, yeah she gets the book that's it uh, like the other bit is like just to, to show you like this is the fairy tale that you think is the fairy tale it's the, but the real fairy tale yeah. is getting the book she published she holds it up to her and also like the soundtrack does so fucking much in this film the soundtrack is fucking stunning i love the soundtrack to the point at which there's one song from or one track from this uh the soundtrack that i whenever i was trying to find my apartment i was really obsessively listening to because it has this like it's this like fucking like i swear to god i love it so much but you notice that uh, at the very very end whenever you have all these like sweeping shots of them and it's like 
kids playing violin, kids, you know, it's like they've got this magical school. It looks like a fairy tale. It doesn't look like the rest of the movie at all. And the music is very like, you know, it's like the grandest of the music. Whereas whenever we see her holding the book, it's just like these soft little notes of just like, it's the same refrain from earlier in the movie, but it's so like perfect. It's not a very showy shot. She's just like standing in a hallway looking through a window. You know, it's like it looks like the rest of the movie. Um, but it's the, the process of her getting to watch the thing finally being made and then holding it in her hands. And like, you know, after because she goes through and you really see it here, I think, more than other adaptations as well, is that like the struggle that she goes through of how Bear knocks her down because she sort of has this you know, it, it, I think that the way they deal with that's really interesting as well. But then because she's been writing these things again after she kind of gains confidence again because she feels like it's making Beth better. But then Beth dies anyways. But also... It's like the second... But going back to that, I think that like the the only kind of quote-unquote issue with the movie, I think that way, of course, is not about him, but it kind of short changes the bear character altogether because he's a hundred percent right yeah. and the way that I he th- I, I think the movie thinks is saying that though i don't think that it's like it's yeah but also is that there's no um kind of it's not as important let's say but that joe never acknowledges that he was right and that's because it, no she does yeah she does but in the fa- in the fantasy because he, in the in the real world she never sees bear again because she goes back. No, but she says it. Um, she says it when she's talking to Marmy in the attic, and she's like, "This is before she started writing again, and after Beth has died." And she's like, "Maybe I was too quick to turn down Laurie." Blah blah blah. And uh, uh, Marmy's like, "But what about your Professor Bear?" And she's like, "No, I ruined that with my pigheadishness. Like I ruin everything." So she does acknowledge it, okay. but not quite to like the full extent. But that's why that's that scene is amazing because it's like. We also get Marmy's like, I'm angry every day of my life. And it's it's so good. I also think that like that scene, uh, but like the movie altogether, it does a very good argument that like marriage itself is what some people need and what some other people don't need. And I think that it, it could be so easy to make the movie on either front like the the original movie uh like most movies because it ends with uh bear and joe together it's actually like it undermines everything else that came before which is a problem with the novel as well and obviously it's uh, something that she needed to add to go and this movie really does well at like the what was the line that even in my fictional character even for my fictional characters uh marriage is a economic proposition the, um, I love her performance there as well. It's so good. She's just like, fine, <laughs> do it. <laughs> but I think I'll hold on to my copyright. But the thing is that, like, it also makes a very good point about like both a- from Amy and Meg that they needed that those marriages, but they're not. Neither of them are perfect marriages. Like obviously for Laurie, it's e- like for Amy, it's easier because like that, eco- like the economical situation doesn't need to to be addressed because Laurie is rich. But but yeah. she'll always have the the kind of you know sloppy seconds kind of vibe 
going on there a, a little yeah and i think i do love that with florence Pugh is just like she clocks it so you know what i mean of him kind of because he's put on the like face and she's like fuck you it's like i've been second to joe my entire life in every way and now you're gonna like come along and be like you know like oh you'll do and it's like it's so good she really nails it like oh yeah like i think that like her performance again like uh talking about like specificity uh, she also has a lot of specificity and loads of like little moments that are very cute like especially when she's playing Mm. uh younger whenever she's talking about like her doll getting a dress and she just is running up the stairs while saying it's like she looks a like girl. a princess <laughs> yeah we need to um we need to briefly touch on the costumes in this movie as well because there was a lot of controversy around oh, the fact Jesus. that like <laughs> alex was having connection watching that this again like just the, the fact been... that there's so little hat wearing in this movie where are the bonnets where are the bonnets it, like there are so many, like I am, I am not a, I'm not a fashion history person at all. I, I only know the how wrong this movie is because I've watched so many video takedowns of it, and because they compare it specifically to the 1994 version, which really nails the costumes, because there's like so many things that movie does where, uh, even the fact that you see people wearing clothes, uh, from. At one point, like there's like the dress that Meg wears to the party, the blue dress, which you then see Amy wearing years later, as opposed to in this movie where all their clothes are like fucking pristine. And there's like all these weird details like Laura Dern has like velvet lapels and stuff, which would make no sense because, again, they have no money and seems wrong for Marmy's character because like, why are you? you know like when you're such a like frugal you know you don't need all this like fluff or whatever you know like this so nothing about their costumes makes any fucking sense and i also saw some people pointing out that um uh there's a really good youtuber called makara tours i would highly recommend her videos really good but um she points out that it would have been a really interesting way of showing the time jumps if their clothes made more sense you know what I mean because even like for the era it doesn't make sense because they're wearing hoop skirts later but not earlier and there's no bonnets and you know it's it's you know like you can you can take liberties with this stuff but if it doesn't even feel correct to the character it's sort of stupid um so yeah that it it is weird because it's also the woman who did the costumes for atonement like and she's done really loads of amazing things. So I have no idea how this ever happened because it makes no sense to me. It's like, why are they wearing these clothes? Uh, yeah, it's very distracting. Like the, yeah, like even the fact that they, uh, like even Laurie doesn't have wear hat at all throughout the movie. And there are no hats. Considering the Americans uh, were so obsessed with wearing hats that there's uh, such a thing as the Straw Hat Riot of 1922. Have you ever heard of this? <laughs> no. Uh, just the opening <laughs> line in the Wikipedia. The Straw Hat Riot of 1922 was a riot that occurred in New York City at the end of the summer as a result of unwritten rules, immense fashions at the time and a tradition of taunting people who had failed to stop wearing straw hats after autumn began. (laughs) 
This originated a series of minus, minor riots that it spread due to men wearing straw hats past the unofficial date that was deemed socially acceptable, September 15th. <laughs> it lasted eight days, leading to many arrests and some injuries. Uh, any last thoughts? No, I think it was a very good choice and it was very, like, uh, it was very enjoyable to, to watch it for a third time. Uh, I think that the, like, the, the, Perhaps not the best thing, so like uh, not ruining it now. But I think the most impressive thing is the how how it works as an adaptation, and I think it's what yeah. No matter what you feel about the other versions of the a Little Women, is that why this is the superior version? And I don't know how you would adapt it again without doing the same structure, because Little Women's in the public domain, so. You get another one in five years, another one. It's gonna be another one, yeah. But I don't know how you would do it. Like you have to do like the South Korean. How do you surpass? You have to do the South Korean version that is uh, set nowadays, and it's also like uh, kind of like Succession. Apparently, I I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I don't know. I I really I don't think I want to watch it because the Little Women meet Succession is such a good kind of like weird thing that lives in my brain now but yeah like it's meant to be a very loose adaptation in fairness but <laughs> any last thoughts yourself uh no i just it was i had a lovely time with it i watched it last night and it was it was great um it will never fully usurp 1994 but it is still it's it's given it still has classic status in my heart i think it's probably um, like uh, it's one of those things nostalgia that's like the it carries mm. that along the the one thing that I, it was kind of like that is slightly frustrating i don't know if it's the book as well that you know you have a character that is like deep into reading or whatever and they never mention anything that they're reading or besides like that poem that she reads in the beach to beth like even in the sense of like showing what she's reading it's such a good opportunity to go what her influences are that caused her to write the other books or what she enjoys reading Uh, so many books oh look at the books (laughs) i love books i'm not like other girls uh yeah because like even in the renona Ryder one there is a scene with her because Laurie's going off to college and she's like packing his books for him and she like hates him because he's going to college and she can't go and she's like naming them and here's don't forget your you know whatever and he's just like I can't bring all of Dickens to Harvard and he's like no you'll have much more important things to read um whereas yeah they don't really cover that in this as much because that scene I suppose there's like when she gets into the library and she's like oh my god there's like so much else going on there yeah but Oh, regardless. Uh, yeah, like, uh, what was your favorite thing? Oh, the script, I think. Definitely. Because, like, that is, it's true. The wonder of this version is that it's able to take things that are so familiar and, and just, just shift it. And, like, that's what really blew my mind whenever I watched it the first time. Um, uh yeah which also makes me very very curious as to what Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie is gonna be like (laughs) like (laughs) 
what is that film going to be about? Like, I just, <laughs> I don't understand. I have so many questions. Um, although we got, like, some answers in, like, the pictures that were leaked of them on set where she's wearing it. Oh, God, it's so intense. But, um, yeah, like, that, that is a mystery to me. Like, um, how... Uh, like, why is Ryan Gosling Ken? He's not Ken. That is miscasting. <laughs> Who's Ken playing again? Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling! He's got bleached blonde hair. Also, not that Ken doesn't have bleached blonde hair. He has, like, sandy blonde hair. Yeah, like, I think that, like, m- maybe he's uh, a little bit too old for it, but I think James Marsden would have been uh, a, a good Ken. He's a really good himbo. Because um, he's in... Um, Oh, what is he in where he plays like a, a like a, oh. enchanted? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really good at that. He kind of does that sort of like prince. Uh, I love him actually. He's also kind of playing a bit of a dope in that um, Netflix series uh, with Linda Cardelloni or whatever the hell her name is. It's really good. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, what was your favorite thing? My favorite thing was I think it's actually uh, even though we shot on it a bit the casting. Because I think that yeah. specifically with both with Marmy, Amy, Joe, and Laurie, and uh, Laurie's grandfather, I think if you don't have yeah. the, like you can get away with a bad Meg, you can get away with a bad Beth, you can get get away because they're not really the point of the movie. Let's say you can get away with anybody like a, an Aunt March that is a little bit too cranky or not hitting on. <laughs> but if you miss those characters. Like uh, it becomes like because that's where the heart of the movie is. It becomes an issue, let's say. And I think that like having somebody like Florence Pugh that is able to play both the young version of Amy and the older version is very, very important because you need that connection yeah. between the two versions. And uh, because it's the whole point that you're like you're with them together, and then afterwards, you know, I think that it is. Uh, like it makes the 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 vibe and the the whole flow of the movie really work because is what um Spielberg said to Scorsese once that one of the reasons that he is able to do one shots in movies is because he casts the movies really well because he doesn't have to mm. go and edit afterwards because if they're good actors you can just have them and your eyes is doing the editing and this movie does that quite well as well the there's a lot of wide shots that uh, of like of two actors going so like the you can tell that this is a movie that had a lot of rehearsal time beforehand and uh like good screenwriting but also that the actors really bought into the characters so that's uh, my favorite thing like i think that they are able to elevate the script to a certain degree as well like not that the script is like not great like you said but they're able to thread the 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 needle in in a way that they even when they're being perfect, they're like being humanly perfect rather than just like this ideal kind of version of somebody. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and that's my favorite thing. What's your least favorite thing? Just the gaps in the performances. I think. I think it's probably Meg. Because, like, Bob Odenkirk is, like, it's a bit silly, but he's just not a character. Like, the dad I, is not I a big deal. Laugh, you know? I did laugh 
every time so far whenever he says little women it's like <laughs> such a bad like you know you can't say it without like seriously that line c- come on is it, is it you know that twitter account that is like uh, the uh the like famous movie quotes that is just taking the piss so it's like uh, for example shot of jean renault and godzilla and it's like i suppose this is godzilla 1998 <laughs> and it felt like he was about to say yes we're and uh this are little women 2019 directed by greta gerwig it's like you don't need <laughs> it we know that they're the little women yeah it's just like <laughs> It's kind of silly, but at the same time, it doesn't really bother me because I kind of enjoy him anyways, and he's not in it that much. Whereas Meg, you, you, it, it annoys me because because they got Amy so right. I was like, and that's something that never, you know what I mean? They managed to elevate her character in such a way and made it so interesting. And I was like, God damn it! Um, so yeah, probably those little gaps in their performances. Um. What was your least favorite thing? I think that it is uh, ironically the the movie is slightly too short. I think the uh, especially with movies. Oh, she, yeah, I it is, isn't it? I kind of felt that yesterday when I was watching it. Actually, that the end, the very end, is just like a little bit compressed or something. Yeah, because they compress like all the adaptations do it that they compress the 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 second volume of the book to like a large degree because it's less interesting than the the first yeah. half of the book. But this kind of plays it like uh, it's almost fifty fifty in a way. So it mm-hmm. covers a lot more ground than the other adaptations. But to a certain degree, I think that a lot of, like the pacing is great in this movie not to like i'm not diminishing the pace i'm not saying that it's too quick but i think it would have benefited from spending more time with the characters even scenes are just adding a little bit of character not necessarily like plot wise or whatever you know because Mm. especially with movies that are talking about like the passage of time and stuff Considering they're only half the movie, so only like an hour whenever you're thinking about seeing them young. Mm. And then like uh, <clears throat> you don't have enough time to build up the nostalgic memories that they have that the movie is trying to capture. And I don't think it's a like that the what's in there is lacking. I think that everything that is in there is working and uh, and like working not only by itself but also like uh echoing across the different time zones timelines mm-hmm. and i think that the idea of like shooting it like make it blue whenever it's the future make it like really uh, almost sepia whenever it's the the past is very well uh, thought out and i think that it's like very important that this movie was shot on film as well because mm-hmm. it, it needs that texture let's say but I think that, you know, an extra, like, even 10 minutes would have given, like, you know, I think my your body clock when you're watching a movie that for some reason, if you watch something that is just two, over two hours, it feels like uh, that was a movie. But if you watch <laughs> something that is, like, over two and a half hours to three hours, you go, that was a film. <laughs> Picture. 
was Little Women. Uh, available fucking everywhere. So no excuses if you haven't seen it. And uh, it will warm your fucking heart. Even though we did complain about it a lot. <laughs> but at the same time, like... It, it like... You know, if we didn't care about it, we wouldn't talk about it for so long, basically. That's how I'll put that. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, where can they find us, Ricardo? They can find us on Facebook, The Recommendation Game, on Twitter, at The Rack Game, on uh, the Dublin Digital Radio Mixcloud, on Dublin Digital Radio every second Tuesday, Monday, actually, uh, 11 to 12. And uh, our back episodes are on Spotify and SoundCloud and your podcaster of choice. And next week's film is... It's chosen by opinion. Orla. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, what film is it? We're finally, finally doing The Hole from 1998, the great Taiwanese film that we are finally getting to. <laughs> Got bypassed a little like bit. <laughs> Got bypassed a little bit, but we get to it now and eventually in the end. So. I was Ricardo Deacon. I was Orla Magnitas. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays. And God bless each and every one of us. <laughs> uh, see you next time in person. <laughs>